94.7 Kumu Kokua, because oh. Kumu cares. All right, uh, it's Devin. And Sunway. Time for us to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> um, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Hello, Lieutenant Governor. How are hey. you? Good morning. I'm, it's, uh, I'm certainly no myth or legend, but I <laughs> am very grateful to be here to help you and to be just kind of another voice in this whole response because uh, it's been quite extraordinary. Yes, it's don't, don't fair, You know, there's, there's so many things we learned. I, let me let me start you off with something that pops from the page right of the way, okay. right out of the gate. Um, Americans 50 years o- or older, okay, are 45 times more likely to be hospitalized um, if they're unvaccinated than those who have been vaccinated and boosted. So 45 times more likely to be hospitalized if you're older and you don't have protection. That's where we really see the greatest struggle because in the last two days, our numbers have been, uh, they've been between 387 and 397 individuals in the hospital. And the, uh, the number of people in the hospital, when, the, you know, when it's a reflection of Omicron in the 57,000 active cases, is far lower than with Delta. And the individuals who are struggling the most are, are people like I just described who didn't get a booster but are a little bit older. Or didn't get vaccinated at all. That's the 48 people in the ICU. So uh, that's where we are. And we just have a lot of, um, we're going to have a lot of digging out to do as a society. But we're coming through this. And I think that the hospital numbers have been, you know, kind of peaking. I, I'm expecting by we by the time we hit February 1st for us to see the decline. So that combined with a lot of extra nursing personnel that we brought into the state means we should be fine. How are we able to do that, by the way? I mean, it seems like everybody is so shorthanded. Um, I'm amazed that we were able to procure nurses at this stage. It was pretty incredible that they were able to do that. So I want to really thank Hilton Rathel, um, Paige over at Healthcare Association of Hawaii, and, of course, their work with General Hara, who's been terrific, and the Department of Health, who have wrestled through these issues and have given it their all. No, nothing's perfect, of course, but bringing in, we have 350 people already in state from these other regions and another 350 arriving and being fully employed uh, by next Monday. That's just amazing. It turns out that Hawaii is a favorable destination. No big surprise there. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, and there is a society or a culture of visiting healthcare workers that you know, definitely is available. They always have been, but they haven't been employed in ways that people would traditionally expect. They've gone to underserved areas. Like, you know, when I worked in the National Health Corps in Kau, that was considered an underserved area, no doctor, uh, very few nurses, or into the Midwest or into the, um, into like uh, Indian reservations and so on. But now that that healthcare workforce is going where they're needed for COVID. And because of our surge, although you could have justified these nurses going anywhere, they came to Hawaii. It was competitive. It's going to cost a lot of money, um, mm. but it is covered by FEMA. And you really can't put a price tag in a way on making sure our kupuna are taken care of. I mean, this is why we have a flexible healthcare system. The flip side would have been to have more healthcare workers in the hospitals than we needed on the ward at any given time, just as a safety measure. And that's not really the way hospitals function. So, I'm grateful for what's been accomplished, and it's a good time because we had at one point 1,400 of our healthcare workers out on quarantine or actually sick, which is a lot given our system. And 
as you know, you have at least five days out when you're a close contact with someone who's positive or if you catch uh, the Delta variant or the Omicron variant. You had to be out for five days minimum. So it really made it hard. It made it hard for a lot of our hospitals to, you know, to care for people. You know, I can run the list for you. For instance, we've got 38 people in Maui Memorial Hospital getting care for COVID right now. 52 at Kaiser, uh, 20 over in Hilo. And then, of course, bigger numbers over at Queens and HPH. So having these workers plus other people who are coming in for regular health problems that might test positive for the Omicron variant, come in for an ear, nose, or throat surgery or a broken bone, but actually test positive just because you had an asymptomatic case, they require some isolation and extra care too. And that means that we've had to have this extra support. Hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Uh, We've been noticing the numbers. They're huge now. I mean, there's no other way to kind of put it. Um, Can you put some perspective on that for us, please? I can. Yes. So Omicron as a variant spreads uh, with an R naught of 10. What that means is if, um, you know, if I catch it, the likelihood is I would spread it to 10 people. Same thing for anybody. And we have 57,708 active cases. Now, they're far less severe. When we peaked on September 3rd in the hospitals, we had 448 people. And at that point, we had 11,500 active cases. Compare that to today. So we remember, 448 people in the hospital with COVID, that was the Delta variant, and 11,500 people in the state were positive over those 14 days. Mm -hmm. Now look at where we are today. We've got 57,708 active cases, yet we have 387 people in the hospital, which is say 25% less. So that tells you that the Omicron variant, which means that one out of every like 400, 140 people end up in the hospital is less severe than the Delta variant, but it's severe enough. If you are older, if you're not vaccinated, if you have underlying lung disease or diabetes, those are the individuals of which there are 48 are ending up in the hospital right now. So that's really what kind of, um, keeps me up at night. The fact that we still have 48 individuals in the ICU and 26 people on ventilators with COVID because that's very preventable. I started off with that number. I'll reiterate it. If you're over 50 and unvaccinated or you've got underlying health conditions, you're 45 times more likely, not 45%, 45 times more likely to end up in the hospital and getting very sick. And getting a booster is 90% effective against being hospitalized, 90%. So it's the right public health advice. I'm not going to pressure people. I think people have to make up their own minds. It's very important in society. But it is clear that our immunity has waned if it's been, you know, many months since you got your shots. And effectiveness fell down like to 57% with this Omicron variant, the, the protection from the vaccines. But it bumped all the way back up to 90% again if you got a booster. So there are ways for us to beat this thing. Uh, it's just a constant challenge. And I know people have become, become somewhat fatigued by the uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, now, with regards to the the booster, I know you and I kind of got a booster earlier. Like, I, I have underlying conditions, so I got mine, like, in August. Uh, and I know right. that you got a booster as well. Is there any research right now that's saying, okay, you're going to need a booster on top of the booster? Or There is emerging research. So, yeah, I think I got my booster. I'm looking at my card right now. I got it on October 23rd, right? So 
you know, I'm coming up on, was that, like three months. So I wouldn't really even begin that dialogue. But there has been discussion about after five months getting a, a fourth shot. That data is coming out of different places, especially those that started early, like Israel. And so when we see that data, the recommendation will follow. I think people are pretty well protected if they've had a booster. But, yes, if you had your booster for some reason six months ago, I know that people are diving in at that. Uh, I would also say this. The people that are most in need of it, and this is what the recommendation, I believe, was out of Israel and other parts of Europe, was that if people were over 60, if they had underlying health conditions, or if they had an immune problem, then they were highly recommended to go get that fourth shot. And I think that we are seeing some of our elderly individuals in our state uh, who are very thoughtful about these things go and get shots. So, uh, and that means a fourth shot. I, I don't think it's a formal recommendation globally yet, so I wouldn't just do it carte blanche, but talk to your primary care doctor. Talk to your trusted healthcare professionals that are in your life because they should also guide you. This is not a one-size-fits-all situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Um, you know, I also saw something in the news, uh, I believe it was yesterday, uh, they were talking about the new studies also helping, not helping, but uh, they don't affect reproduction. Is that, is that That's stuff right. that you're seeing as well? Could you expand on that a little bit? That's, yes. So this was an important question because a lot of young people were reluctant to get vaccinated because You know, obviously they're in their reproductive years and they didn't want to do something that made it less likely that they could get uh, pregnant or have children. And I really respect that, you know, that issue. There's no question that that's central on the minds of younger people. uh, But that's what the research showed, that people have not had any uh, curtailing of their fertility. They haven't, you know, had meaningful changes or any changes to their menstrual cycles that could be discerned. And it's very important that those you know, those reports come out because a lot of this is about public confidence. Remember, we get a lot of vaccinations and I've been a part of those discussions for years when I was the health chairperson in the Senate and the House. A lot of people have concerns about these things and I respect that, but the data is the data. And so it's not a problem. Uh, My daughter, who is 15, got shots and got a booster because we felt confident in the data that we saw as a family. Uh, So, these are, these are tough times, you know. I've seen enough heartache, and I've seen young people also uh, be, be taken from, you know, from us with this virus. So, you know, use the data to the best of your abilities. People will have to make their own personal decisions. Lean on your, um, in this case, maybe your OBGYN if you're a younger woman and you're considering getting pregnant. Uh, but the recommendations from the American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists has been to get the shots. And otherwise, people are in great peril in many cases when they're pregnant, uh, especially later in their uh, third trimester. It's difficult to breathe sometimes in the third trimester because of uh, the baby. And if you get a serious upper respiratory disease like COVID, you know, I've seen heartache. So uh, it's it's important. Uh, But don't just take it from me. And in this case, I'm really trying to speak to you as your lieutenant governor, not as your private physician. These are important studies worth reading. And that was the summary of this one, that it was not a problem. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Josh Green joining us again. Give us kind of a COVID update. Okay, so, Lieutenant Governor, <laughs> we had something yeah. that happened this week. Uh, oh, yeah. Here at the station. <laughs> right. That uh, our, our boss uh, wanted us to talk to you mm-hmm. about because he was like, wait a second. We've had to move 
as you know, right? Uh, and you've been to our yeah. new studios. Uh, we've been having some things going on. So we had a gentleman who was coming in from the mainland to um, to take a look at our... He's a technician. Yeah, a technician yeah. to take a look at our equipment. Um, he flew in, um, landed, and then found out that he did not do his test at the correct yeah. place. Like he didn't go to a certified facility, uh, facility, testing facility. a testing facility. So... Yeah. Rather than him being able to find a test here somewhere that he could do, he had to fly back to Phoenix, Phoenix, I believe, Phoenix or California, do the test, and then fly back here. And so our boss was yeah. like, is there a way that you can ask the lieutenant governor, is there something we could do about that? Because <laughs> it just seemed strange to... That there's no um, alternative to test here if they arrive and they realize that they've tested in a wrong facility. Yeah. I can unpack that for you. I wrestled with this quite a lot with the team, uh, but here's here's the reason for that. Now, of course, this person could have um, isolated, which is difficult, and he was there to do some work, obviously, so that's why he had come in. Now, first and foremost, you know, we are hopeful that people will be vaccinated, therefore they get their exemption right off the bat. So this obviously sounds like someone who made a choice not to get vaccinated. And that's their choice. But he was half vaccinated. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah Sorry. He, had he, had, one, he had one, one shot, shot already. So far, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so his plans needed to be complete mm-hmm. if, if he's going to be responsible. I'm not trying to be critical of this person. I'm sure he's a great guy. But, you know, if you're going to be a, a traveling worker in an era with a, a global pandemic and spread of an infectious disease, you've got to take the time to be responsible and get vaccinated. That's one. Now, having said that, because we want to be fair to people, we also enable them to get a pretest. And the reason it's within three days is because we don't want too large a window where they could be infectious or catch it in between. Omicron's very infectious. And then finally, in answer to your real question, if we allowed everyone to test instead when they arrived, remember, we get between 20,000 and 30,000 travelers every single day. That would mean everybody would have the opportunity to first fly on the planes without being protected and then get the test. And if they test positive here, they'd have to quarantine for the five days minimum up to 10 days. And if they refused to test, we couldn't actually police the quarantine. We couldn't enforce it. And then the last piece of that is we have to do these tests for our own people so that they can go to school and go to work and be checked to see if they're ready to get out of quarantine or whether they're well. We have a trouble. We have trouble doing more than fifteen thousand tests a day on our own for our own people. So if we added twenty to thirty thousand tests upon arrival, it would completely explode any possibility that we could be a good public health state. So that's a long way of saying that guy messed up. Mm, there you go. There's the answer. Thank you. We'll tell our boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's listening. He's listening right now. So he's he's getting it as it's happening. Sure, um, sure. Uh, there is a there is somebody who's trying to call us. Um, and we appreciate you trying to call, and they've been calling and calling and calling. Ah. Go to our go to our Facebook right now and ask the question there, because otherwise I'm going to hang up on the lieutenant governor, which <laughs> I'm, I'm not about that. to do. Yeah, so I'll sorry about that. I'll look at the Facebook page. Um, but we appreciate you uh, making the call to try to ask a question of the lieutenant governor. Uh, once again, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here for um, all the all the COVID updates. Um, have you found out anything uh, with regards to how they're attacking this on the mainland uh, that you want to share with us? I know that they're having some problems uh, procuring the mono, monoclonal antibodies. Is that correct? Is there a shortage? There is. There's a global shortage of monoclonals. And you're talking about a treatment that is difficult to access, costs 
be probably five to six thousand dollars typically, and that's to be compared to getting a simple vaccine, which is another kind of like-minded approach. You know, you're creating your own antibodies and dropping your risk by 45 times that you're going to catch it. So it's really a prevention public health situation rather than a back-end treatment public health situation Mm -hmm. when you've got hundreds of millions of people exposed. Uh, But we we are trying to get all that we can. We get an allotment from the feds because it's in development, basically. And that that makes for some concern, without a doubt. Uh, But there are other drugs that are coming online. We're still short of of the medications that are coming out of Merck, uh, and that's the five-day course of the antiviral. Mm-hmm. Again, the shortage is global. It's not Hawaii-based. Uh, and we do have remdesivir and, of course, most of it's supportive care. Honestly, this is a virus that you do demonstrate supportive care and people get over it, usually in somewhere between eight and nine days. Uh, but all I can tell you is the very best thing to do is if you're in any any group, really, but if you're in the higher risk groups, over age 50, if you have any underlying health conditions, um, unless you have a deep spiritual or philosophical opposition to getting vaccinated, you must go get a vaccine and a booster. That's your solution. That's the protection. 90% effective against hospitalization if you're boosted. And we've now done, you know, 442,000 of our people have already chosen to get a booster, and that's going to go up more than 100,000 per month. So, we're coming to a good place mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I feel a little badly about being harsh about that contractor. I really understand, you know, uh, but it's a, um, it's a global public health question. We're talking about 57,000 people have active disease right now or 20 to 30,000 people that fly in every day. So to make exceptions, it seems so harsh to have someone fly back to the mainland to get the right test, but those testing rules and the standards have been up for, you know, going on two years. It's, it is something I'm aware of What people are critical. Even some leadership is critical and that's okay. You know, I, I respect our, our other leaders that make, um, you know, make questions and they raise questions about how things are going. But when you're doing this 12 to 14 hours a day and wrestling with each of these questions, you see, you just got a kind of a snapshot into what the actual process was to to insist people get a safe travels test from a partner that can do a PCR test. Mm -hmm. The other tests are not quite as reliable. Yes, we should have tests for everybody, uh, antigen tests. It gives you some protection. It's not complete. Yes, everyone should wear a mask. And they have had a couple years to get them. And these are things that we have been supporting day in, day out. So many thanks to General Hara and Libby Char, our health director, and others that have fought for this because uh, it's not something to trifle with. And a lot of people are, you know, are speaking more politically about this rather than medically. And I, I just think it's better to look at the medical realities and then make your decisions. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, um, just want to touch on something that uh, someone sent us. Um, they want to ask about the third vaccine for restaurants. Um, they're saying that many people don't want to get three or four being that they got the second and everyone is still getting COVID. So many aren't comfortable getting more. She thinks it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, right? So let me speak. From a health standpoint, the best thing to do is to get the booster because it will protect you more. Uh, from the standpoint of how we move forward in society, it really is coming to a time where we should, because Omicron will end and because we've done a very good job overall containing the virus, that we should return to normal or begin to return to normal. 
it will be incumbent upon people to know that if they're going out, they should be well. If they're going out, they should wear a mask. I'm not so sure that continuous restrictions are going to be something that people can tolerate. And by the end of this Omicron surge, we should have really reached some critical mass of immunity. You know, in that case, you would be wise. Let's say you are a 72-year-old person who's had a lot of health problems. You will make the decision yourself, I'm sure, in an intelligent fashion to be boosted and protected. Whereas the 40-year-old who is healthy and not had much in the way of concerns will make their own decisions about what they're able to do and willing to do at that stage of their life. So I trust people to make the right decisions. I'm not sure continued uh, government regulation once we get through this last surge is going to be tolerable. So we'll talk a lot more about that. The mayor and the governor are going to have to talk about that. But there is a kind of breaking point at some point where people just don't psychologically have the capacity to deal with more lockdowns or more restrictions. So, look, get your booster if you are at risk. That's kind of a simpler version of this conversation. Okay. Thank you very much. I have a quick question. Um, Would this be generally considered the final surge or do you anticipate more surges? And if so, I I read an article yesterday that in Europe, I guess particularly in Spain and Portugal and that area, um, they're they're planning to treat this, you know, somewhat as a an illness that will always be around. And because the severity of it is lessening at, from, I guess, because of Omicron, um, that to look at this like this is going to be with us all the time. Um, and if there is a next surge, that the strategy for dealing with it might be different now because we have so much more information. But basically, do you anticipate this being the last big surge in the pandemic? Well, I think you made uh, some very insightful observations some way. Yes, I would say that this surge will be the last major surge where you'll see uh, wholesale social restrictions and a public health response that requires, you know, um, bans on travel or restrictions on travel and so on. The way that coronaviruses work is they tend to be a three- to five-year cycle, and novel coronaviruses, let's remember that was the original description of this virus. Mm-hmm. A novel coronavirus means you had no protection whatsoever, so it just would wave after wave infect people. Now people will have had about five opportunities to get immune. Right. The first shot, the second shot, the booster, catching Delta, which I caught Delta and got those first three shots, and then Omicron, all of which affect the immunity or the amount of antibodies in society. And that's how you gradually reach what some people call herd immunity and other people describe as a country going into an endemic state, which is what you're describing that Mm -hmm. they're saying in Europe. So all of that added immunity and the fact that the disease has weakened, you know, before 4% of all cases ended up in the hospital, now 0.67% of all cases end up in the hospital. That's like five times less. So... If it's another five times less the next time, it would be negligible. That would mean we'd have 40 or 50 people. And it would, you know, I would be looking at it seriously as a physician, but 40 or 50 people in the hospital is not something that even registers when you're talking about illness, flu, chronic disease, and what have you. Mm -hmm. So it'll be serious for the individuals that happen to catch it, and they would be wise, just like we advise people who are elderly to always get a pneumonia shot and get the shingle shot and to get these other things that can really wreck you, yes, those individuals will be the focus of our extra attention from a health standpoint. But young people who have had some immunity, have had the disease, have had vaccinations, they're going to shrug it off in coming um, 
seasons. So I think what you actually see is more people will wear masks during the fall and winter season. You'll see far less flu and colds. You'll see less Omicron. You'll see less other variants. And we will understand that we can live with it. Okay. Thank you very much. That's the, good. <laughs> Lieutenant Governor, um, we have uh, just a little bit more time with you. I wanted to take three questions that we got off of Facebook real quick. Uh, one from Stacy Pileski. Sure. Uh, how does someone prove they have natural immunity from recently having COVID to be able to go out to a restaurant or other ve- venue? They can get an antibody titer. It's a blood draw. So they have their primary care physician do that. And there are provisions that allow you to have a note from your doctor and show that your test you know, your test was positive, and so you get an exemption that way. That's important because natural immunity is a valuable uh, way to look at this also. Okay, thank you. Uh, From Don Wells, please clarify fully vaccinated. I understand that this includes the booster now, but what if it is not time to receive it yet and your plans are non-refundable? Yes, it's really the results um, of that question are he's right. It's just going to be up to date. So, Uh, you will be up to date or you get the test. So if you're within that five-month window, like I just shared with you that I'm three months in, Mm -hmm. I would be considered, um, well, I actually got the booster. But if I was within within five months of the second shot and I was not eligible yet for that third shot, I would be, like Don, up to date and you would be qualified to go travel or go to the restaurant with your pass and what have you. Okay, thank you. And finally, from Jansen Bohm, can Lieutenant Governor explain how the safe access Oahu supports science because the vaccinated spread COVID? Well, let me first say that the Safe Access Oahu program is a county program. It's not my program. Right. The way it supports science is you are less likely to transmit, less likely to transmit uh, spread of Omicron. So it is effective to basically, if you've had a booster, 90 percent effective to block the virus. Now, it's not 100 percent. And there are a lot of breakthrough cases. Uh, the question is probably from the philosophical perspective of just not like not liking to get vaccines. And that's OK. Again, people can make those decisions. But when we're talking about mass spread of an illness, which will then put people out of work at the restaurant or at the hospital or what have you, it's just a consideration. Uh, but and it's tough. I, I don't deny it that it's tough, but it's tough for the good of all. And that's the approach. Uh, but. I'm also understanding that sooner or later we got to move on to normal. So people should just be responsible to the best of their ability. So wear a mask in that case, and we will get out from under these restrictions before too long. Okay. Thank you very much, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor. Appreciate the time. Um, I know you have to run. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say in closing? Uh, I would just say I'm so appreciative of of people who have gone through this process and had, you know, had the wherewithal to stick with it, whether they believe in vaccinations or not, just it's a societal matter. And people have been very supportive of one another. I've even seen a lot of people come together who, you know, have some philosophical disagreements with one another, even people that I kind of tussled with. Um, So I'm grateful to people for going through this process and coming out the other side. Hawaii has done well, though the numbers are high right now. The hospital numbers are beginning to turn the corner. It really looks like and you saw precipitous decreases in the cases of Omicron over the last, like, several months uh, in lots of places. And it first dropped off steeply in Europe and in the Middle East. And now you're seeing that uh, it's dropping off quite quickly in parts of New York and the Northeast. That will happen in Hawaii, too. So don't despair. Still do good things and smart things. We're through the holiday season. 
and we we are making it through. We got the extra 700 healthcare workers. I'm thankful for that, and I just appreciate everyone's patience. But uh, there's a good spring ahead, and okay. so I wanted to share that with everyone. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, joining us once again. Thank you so much again for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care.